0: Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and with a new year comes a new mailbag. And Alex, for this first question, perhaps the only question we're going to talk about in this podcast, we get big picture, we get existential.
1: Yeah, it, it should be a great time because it's a really great question, sort of about what defines success and what should make us happy as far as Knicks success levels. Is being just a playoff team good enough? Should the Knicks always be striving to be a championship team and anything less is considered a failure. So there's a lot to kind of chew on and something that I've been thinking about for a while. So I was very glad to get this mailbag question. And perhaps we will end off with a little uh, trade speculation. If we have time for a second mailbag question next on locked on Knicks, you are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starks. Without a five. going for the win. Yes! Thompson pups left. He now fires it. And he's good! And he's fouled! And he's fouled! And he's fouled! it. Anthony for three. Five! That one goes down! This is all about Back up. Off the glass. It's good!
0: RJ You are locked on Knicks here. Daily New York Knicks. podcast. one your first listen today and every day. We are now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube. If you didn't know it, now you do go check us out. Our smiling faces every single day on YouTube. Like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. But who's talking to you? I am Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest things website in the whole wide world. And Wow, it's the, it's the happiest time of the new year, Alex. Our first mailbag. What a day! What a time! What a question to kick it off from Ricky Rodriguez at r underscore rod eighty four. Big shout out to Ricky. Ask good questions. Literally every single time we have a mailbag, so he he is one of the many MVPs of this show. And he wants to know, Alex. He he kind of he kind of just went into your mind and heart here because this is something that you and I discuss quite a bit. Not always on air, but I, I know it's something that that's always always around. Always around your head. How am I supposed to feel? Knicks winning, the Knicks winning games feels great, but this team is not close to contention. Is this a good place to be as a franchise? It's only one team can win it all. Anyways, Alex, this is this is the sort of question every NBA fan um, outside of the perennial contenders, so shout out shout out to you Warriors fans out there, um, should be asking themselves, probably are asking themselves. Um, and as Knicks fans, I, I know in the past we've been, Kind of content, or, or at least claimed. Hey, if we just if we just had competence, that that's all we ask for. But now that competence is here, is that enough for you?
1: Yeah. Well, so first, I want to say, mailbag wise, if anybody's listening to this, either on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform, whatever, and you want to ask more questions, you could definitely still do that uh, in the YouTube comments or something, or on our Twitter. As far as this question, yeah, it, this is on my brain a lot. I talk. I we definitely talk about this a lot more. Off air than we do on the pod. And we, we literally had just had a discussion about this, like before we put out the solicitation for the mailbag and then got this question. I was like, wow, that's great timing. Cause I kind of want to do a show about this anyway. I, and it, I think it's an interesting question, right? Like during the real doldrums years with the Knicks, and I may have even said this on the show at some point, I don't know if someone feels intrepid enough to go back and listen to a bunch of shows from like 2019 or whatever, when the Knicks are really bad. And like the Kevin Knox rookie year, uh, Pre R.J. Barrett time, but like I used to always say I would love if the Knicks could just be like the mid 2000s Hawks or something, or maybe slightly more than that, you know, maybe like a, a like the mid 2000s Nuggets with mellow, maybe something like that, like play fun basketball, always make the playoffs. Maybe they only make it out of the first round a handful of times, maybe make like one. Eastern Conference Finals appearance and lose. But just always give you something to watch and be excited for every night. And that's what this team is right now, right? Like they always play hard. They have a great stable of guys with uh, Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett, all locked up now. They have a great stable of young players that are all playing well with Grimes and Quickly and Toppin and McBride and all them. And they seem to have some flexibility to hopefully get by some measures, better down the road. But the question is, like, how much better? And so, like, are they going to be able to get championship good? I don't know. And if they don't, is that still okay? As long as they end up, like, a mid-playoff seed every year. Like, if they're four, five seeds, maybe six seed, whatever, and they push teams to, you know, six, seven games in the first round perennially and then once or twice break through, make the second round, and maybe give some team trouble there maybe one time make the Eastern conference finals. Is that, is that good enough? Is that going to be memorable? And I guess that's what it all comes down to to me is like, how memorable could this Knicks team be if they just stay where they are or do they have to get better to become memorable? Are we living in an era where things are sort of like championship or bust? Like if you're not first, you're last. Uh, Or, you know, are like the nineties Knicks, for example, proof that, even if your team doesn't break through and win a championship, if they play hard and bring it every night and can do some stuff on the court and and make some measure of noise in the playoffs, is that good enough? You know, like is that good enough to cement your legacy as a team that is worth talking about for years to come? I mean, you and I still, you know, talk longingly about the 2012 to 13 Knicks, which was one singular year where they made the second round of the playoffs and had a two seed. Uh, and ultimately couldn't even make the Eastern conference finals. And yet we still talk about that team. Although I think that the more time goes on now, we're 10 years removed from that. The more time goes on. I think some of the luster wears off of that a bit because it was just one season, but you talk to people that were fans of the nineties Knicks, which you and I were both unfortunately a little too young for to really be fully invested in. But those people talk about those teams, like, like they were gods, you know, like, like they were really something worth memory worth remembering. And, that's what I always think about with like philosophically with teams, like just how good do the Knicks need to be? And can there be a version of a Knicks team where they never win a championship, but are still super memorable. And I think that's kind of a good starting point for the discussion.
0: Yeah. So to me, that that's an important distinction, right? Because is, is Ricky in this question, I, I think he's talking about teams that are, are maybe a step, below the 96 and maybe even like a small step below the 1213 nicks because he says um but this team is not close to contention is that a good place to be as a franchise it's only one can win it all so he's like we we were we were kind of pre-show going through like all right what what are some teams that we could describe like to steal a, a bill simmons ism um, critically acclaimed um, over our lifetimes. I mean, to me, the defining one is are, is the Steve Nash sons from 2004 to 2012. I mean, I mean that team, honestly, more so than the Knicks, because the Knicks uh, sucked for pretty much that entire stretch um, kind of made me fall in love with basketball um, and, and just was, was kind of, was, was, was magical, right? I mean, wa- watching Nash just play like a, like a mini Canadian Houdini out there. Sean Marion with his funky jumper filling the lane stat, jamming on people like Boris Diaw, Raja Bell filling in all the gaps. But then when I was kind of honest with myself, I was like, all right, but that that sort of transcends the criteria of this question because even though that team never reached the NBA finals, like to me, to me, the bar should be like, could an expert in, in any of those years that the team had that run credibly have said, hey, this team has a shot at a championship and you, and you go back and, and, you, and you read stuff from that era and or you live through that era. And you know, that Suns team, with a few more breaks um, and, and maybe one not break when Steve Nash like had his nose caved in uh, was good enough to win an NBA championship. Um, so they almost supersede the question to me. And, th- and then you could go to um, teams like a little lower down the totem pole. Like Alex, you always referenced the, um, I guess it was, was it the 2017 Hawks, 2016 Hawks? It was, it was sometime in that range. I mean, the Kyle Corver, Jeff Teague, Al Horford, um, Paul Millsap Hawks, which had, which had four all-stars and played beautiful basketball. But I think everyone kind of came to the same conclusion with them that like, all right, like when they run into LeBron, like this is, this is all gonna, this is gonna break apart a little bit. Um, You could throw, I mean, one of my all-time favorites, the 12-13 Nuggets, like such a weirdo team with, with Wilson Chandler, with Gallo, with Ty Lawson, with Andre Wadala, that team played beautiful basketball, uh, got ran out of the playoffs in the first round by the Warriors. Um, Alex, you you, you could throw some out there too, but all all that is to say um, we can, we can talk to we're blue in the face um, about those teams and say how much we love them. But I, I I do think there is that important distinction that like ultimately or generally teams that aren't ever legitimate contenders for championships. Like don't really go down in big picture NBA history. They're they're beloved by their fan bases and, and those seasons are always memorable and they're, and they're significant. But is that enough?
1: Yeah, I I think that's you know, I when when I'm thinking about some of those types of teams too. I mean, uh, you know, I love those Suns teams too. I think they are almost they're almost in a different category, I think than this general discussion because they were they probably should have won at least one championship, but some of those breaks that went against them were like literally championship costing breaks against like the Spurs and all that. So, yeah, I mean that's that that's like the highest end possible, I think of this question. And those teams are memorable because they did something that literally redefined basketball with the reliance on the three point shot and the seven seconds or less offense. And, you know, just the the idea of having versatile guys on the floor that didn't necessarily have a, like a, a defined position and just, you know, being able to play five out ball or like, four out, you know, with Amari Stoudemire running the the pick and roll, you know, or, or you know, being the, the role man in a pick and roll and then just having a ton of guys that could shoot three. So they're almost like in a category of their own to me. I think, you know, other teams that I would look at that would fit into this category would be like the I mean, I love these teams, either the McGrady Magic or the McGrady Rockets that were sometimes somewhat high seeds. And McGrady himself was so entertaining to watch. He's like probably my favorite player of all time. Uh, but never got out of the first round famously until he was like on his literal last leg with the Spurs and made the the finals uh, as a bench player that didn't even get playing time. Um, the The Nuggets under Mello uh, I think are are a good example. You brought this up before we started recording, like Jason Kidd, Richard Jefferson, Vince Carter Nets, uh, not the, not the virtual Kenya Martin that made the finals. Although that one kind of counts too, because honestly, the East was so inferior compared to the West at that time that you kind of knew that an Easter conference championship was as far as you were ever going to get at that particular point in time. Like if you were an East team, like there was more or less up until the Pistons breaking through uh, in 2004, there was like basically no chance that if you made it as the uh, team out of the East that you were going to win the championship for like four or five years there. Cause the West was just so much better. Um, but yeah, there's so many teams that that fit the description I, I think as far as the question that you just posed, and maybe we can take a quick break and then get back into this question. But I think that the next interesting question there is, does it matter if your team reaches league-wide memorable status like those Phoenix Suns teams where they did something so revolutionary, even without a title that they became memorable and had a two-time MVP and everything, or is it okay to just be beloved by your fan base and not necessarily like have something that fans can look back on and be cool with and not necessarily have to leave a huge stamp on the entire league. I think that's another interesting philosophical way to take that. But Gavin, uh, before we get into that, do you want to quickly, it's it's a very important season coming up and I'm not talking about basketball season. Do you want to let everybody know where to get their taxes done?
0: Yeah, Alex, the most important season there is go to TurboTax and don't, do your taxes. Meet with an expert who will do them for you. TurboTax experts can relieve you from the stresses of taxes and file for you so you can do not taxes. Show your eyes things that are not taxes. Unpack a moving box of not taxes. Taste not taxes. Sing not taxes a lullaby. Hope not taxes sleeps through the night. Grab a saddle and ride not taxes into the sunset. With the TurboTax 100% Expert Guarantee, an expert will do your taxes from start to finish so you can relax. Feels good to be done with your taxes, doesn't it? Come to TurboTax and don't do your taxes. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. Intuit TurboTax, full-service products only. Video meetings while expert does your taxes required. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. All right, we are back on locked on Knicks. Uh it is it is an important question that you you just posed Alex. It's really what is it what does it matter what the rest of the NBA thinks, right? I mean the Knicks fans have never really cared about that one way or another. It's can we live with ourselves? Can we enjoy people who who watch the team every single day? And and, and for me, I mean there there are two independent questions at play. It is it is aesthetic value and it is I think something less definable, like a certain like, and this and this derives from aesthetic value, but also kind of just the personalities on the team, the stories around the team, like the lovability of that group. And honestly, I, I do think these Knicks rosters or these Knicks rosters this is currently Knicks roster, and I, I guess future rosters down the road have a chance to hit pretty high in, in that category. So I, I think, based on what we're talking about, we're we're operating as if the Knicks are not going to make a super significant move going forward, right? They're not going to randomly get Luka Doncic in free agency in four years or, or, or I don't know, miss the playoffs this year and win the lottery and end up with Victor Wenbanyama. Right? This is assuming the roster stays more or less the same. Um, this team can play beautiful basketball on on both ends of the floor. Um, defensively, we've seen they have the, – the, look, they have nights where they suck – but they have the capability to dominate with Mitchell Robinson, with what Quentin Grimes does, with Deuce McBride's ability to apply pressure. And I, I think the one bit of hope on that side of the, of, of the basketball court is that RJ Barrett still has significant room to grow. And even if he's never a lead on that end, like I, I know you and I had moments his second year when he was kind of going at Kawhi Leonard, we were like, all right, is, are we looking at a special defender here? Probably not going to be that, but he could be pretty good. And I think a key cog in, I don't know, maybe like a top, six or seven defense over the course of a season in the nba and then offensively it's worth kind of reassessing this team's ceiling right because they've been the number one offense in basketball now for about a month and it looks very real the way jalen brunson just terrorizes defense julius Randle leveraging um insanely high volume three-point shooting literally the most attempts in the league um over the last i think now 34 days or, or at least that was true as of two days ago um, and better decision-making Quentin Grimes. Uh, uh, this was a great Fred Katstat. he is, he is the best uh, blow by percentage in the NBA of any player who's attacked. At least, I, I think it's 178 closeouts this year. Like he he's, he's ridiculously good um, at that. I can go on and on and on. The point is there are complementary pieces um, and, and there are pieces that make for some really fun basketball. Um, but as a whole, I think this team tops out, maybe in two years when you could look at like Brunson is in his prime at 28 um, RJ at 25 or excuse me at 24 is approaching his prime Grimes is 24 IQ is 24 um, Randall's 30 still very much within his prime. I think they could win like 52 53 games. I think they could make the second round the playoffs. I think it would take something kind of fluky like what happened with the Hawks for them to reach a conference finals. I don't know, Alex, would that, would that be good enough for you with some really beautiful basketball along the way?
1: I think it could be. And I think that if we're gonna, you know, if we start trying to like distill this whole thing down into what would make a team a, a desirable one and a memorable one to Knicks fans, I think like what's like the main thing? Well, here, I'll do a quick word association. Like if you were going to give me like three words that you most associate with how people talk about the the 90s Knicks, what would they be?
0: Ooh toughness blood and I want to I want to avoid using a third word that's in the exact same category but I'll, I'll say relentlessness
1: yeah I mean that's sort of it like I think that's what this fan base values and that's why when the Knicks go on the floor regardless of how likable all the players are like I'm kind of with you like especially even like Julius Randle this year you know playing the way that he is and uh, again for the second time in three years owning you know, that he didn't have a good year the year prior and trying to make better on it the next year. Like, there's something very endearing about that. Um, There's something really endearing about how Brunson just leaves it all on the floor and goes out there and will literally go on the floor and play it, to the point where, like, if he could barely walk, he's, like, still considering it. Um R.J. Barrett, same deal. You know, has played through some, some injuries that took him literally, like, Apparently breaking his or dislocating his finger outside of his skin <laughs> to, you know, get him out of games, you know, now and he's like mad that he can't play right now. You know, it's it's that sort of mentality, I think, that uh this fan base values. And so if the Knicks continued playing that way with this core and they never do add another, you know, another player, that like mythical other star or whatever, or make that big splash trade or whatever. And, you know, these guys just continue growing with one another and continue being as likable as they are and, you know, playing hard every single night. I think that would be all it would take. And they would go down as a very memorable team, even if they only made some second rounds and, you know, maybe threatened to make a Eastern Conference Finals one time or again, like you said, maybe fluked into one one time and then lost like 4-1 to some powerhouse in the Eastern Conference Finals or something. I think that would be enough, you know, like I was just saying a minute ago, you know, the, the 12, 13 team was so likable personality wise that it made it that much easier to root for them and made them that much more memorable, uh, down the road where you could, you could point to like, man, I really think that, you know, if they had gotten past the Pacers, they would have really given the heat a run for their money in the Eastern conference finals. But the reality is we probably all know they wouldn't have beaten them. You know, they, that probably would have been where they would have topped out. Um, and that one team that made it to the second round with maybe prospects of making it to the the Eastern Conference finals has been memorable for 10 years now and like i said only now i think its the luster maybe starting to wear off a tiny bit off that team because it's 10 years now so if this team could do that for like 5 6 years in a row which is like over half a decade i yeah i think they would they would be remembered quite well in the history books by Knicks fans um and maybe we could kind of Close off our discussion on that, and then maybe talk about real quick one potential splash move that the Knicks could make as soon as this year. If we want to talk about things that could potentially be polarized into the fan base, we'll talk about a a player, uh, one Zach Levine, in our next segment that uh, the Knicks could maybe look at in this trade deadline as he is apparently available. But I do just have to remind everybody real quick that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, and if you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, you gotta try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays and look, my goal, your goal, a lot of people's goals is to eat a little healthier this year and you want to eat healthier, but don't want to compromise taste. Well, I've got something for you. It's built bars. And did I not mention that already? You got to try built with built healthy is actually tasty. Seriously. They're so delicious. You won't think they're good for you. They're perfect for your new year's resolution. What makes them so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That is right. Real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. One of my personal favorites tastes just like an almond joy. The best part now is you don't need to wait around to get a box. If you need that built bar fix immediately, and you've got a Walmart or Sam's Club by you, you can get Built Bars there now. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with the hit flavors brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. Of course, you could also check out Built.com as well for that. And Today's show is brought to you as well by Madison Square Garden. What's up, Knicks Nation? As the new year gets underway, now is the time to start planning your visit to the Mecca of basketball. Madison Square Garden, start off the new year strong with Knicks basketball. There's lots of basketball. Left to be played, you could be there to catch the action live and cheer on the Knicks. Knicks fans, you know, you guys probably all know this listening to this podcast bring the passion and the energy, as I just said, good or bad. You could go there and boo them if they're having a, a cruddy night, and they make it a true home court advantage as long as the Knicks play hard. There is no experience like watching a game at the world's most famous arena. Uh, I was talking to Gavin about it before we started recording here, but I, there's truly no bad seats after they did the renovations, not that there was really any bad seats before, but all the seats in Madison square garden are so cool. Now, even if you're at the top of the 200 section, uh, you get a great view of the court. So if you're on the fence about going, because you're like, Oh, I don't want to get a cheap seat. Don't worry. It's not like Barclays center. where You could sit up at the top and, you know, be looking at a bunch of ants playing on a court with no depth perception of what's going on. It's a much better experience and and really unmatched at MSG. So you need to be here to experience top tier competition at the Mecca of Basketball Madison Square Garden. Get your tickets at nixcom slash locked on today. That's Knicks.com slash locked on. All right. And we're back, Gavin, to continue talking about this this great debate. I've I've enjoyed this a lot. I, I love philosophical crap like this. Uh, going on about like what is success and what's not. Because I think it's kind of fascinating because it if you really look at it, it's it sort of alluded to in Ricky's question, like there's so few teams that actually win championships in the NBA. So I feel like a lot of fan bases really have to temper expectations and say, all right, what what is going to be enough that this is going to be an enjoyable experience for me as a fan? Um, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on on where I ended things off in the last one, which was sort of talking about in the last segment, I should say, talking about like the qualities of a good team and what would make it memorable, and if you agree with my overall assessment there.
0: Yeah, I think it was good. I mean, when I kind of went to, and, and what I thought you were going to ask actually it was like, how would you describe the twelve thirteen team? And I was I was kind of racking my head. I was like, all right, like fun, like just like the like insane like Jr. Smith of it all, right? Like like Novak mm-hmm. coming off the bench, draining shots. And on that note, threes like they they were blowing away the all time record for makes over the first. 15 or so games of the season, I think maybe set the the season record for all time makes. I, I know the, the rate that they were hitting early was just on a different level. Like, and then Melo, like having like having a genuine superstar. And, and to me, that's, that's the break between these Knicks and the 12, 13 Knicks and the nineties Knicks is that there isn't a Patrick Ewing. There isn't a Carmelo Anthony where Jalen Brunson is fantastic. Julius Randall is having an incredible season. And honestly, if he can do what he's been doing over the last, I don't know, 14 to 18 games now, like maybe you could put him in a pretty similar category to a Carmelo Anthony, but Alex, like at the end of the day, like they're both still borderline all-stars. I'm not going to say fringe all-stars. I, I think Julius Randle should absolutely make the team at this point. I think Jalen Brunson has a pretty good case, but that's not really Mellow or Ewing, right? So that's, that's kind of where I draw the line only in the sense that when you have a Carmelo Anthony, when you have a Patrick Ewing, again, you can talk yourself into the idea that you can win an NBA championship. Like I'll, I'll even go a step up in terms of players, right? Like, isn't it interesting to compare Knicks fans experience to Mavs fans right now? Right. Because the two teams, as, as we, we got to see in that game and, and with the Knicks missing two of their three best players are pretty much dead even, right. But in just completely different ways, the Knicks are incredibly deep. Um, they have a, a sort of big three. Um, and, and then the role players around those guys are elite, right? Like Mitchell Robinson is like, like there are advanced stats out there that suggest he's been one of the 30 best players in the NBA this season. Quentin Grimes is, is about as good of a two-way guard, non-superstar category as you can have. Emmanuel Quickley, one of the better bench players in the league. Obi Toppin, when he's healthy, one of the better bench scorers in the league. You can, we, 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 you can go on and on and on with, with, with the different interesting and, and helpful contributors the Knicks have versus Dallas where it, it's the Luka Doncic show. And you're looking at a guy who you're like, all right, I could, when, when it's all said and done, I, he, maybe he's the best player of all time. Like I, that's, that's feels crazy right now. Like there's such a long way to go for that, but that is, that is the plausible ceiling for him. Right. But is it, is it in a way more torturous to have that guy and have to watch your team fail to surround him with the right guys? I would say probably. Yeah. But only because the flip side of that coin is like, you're kind of one signing or one trade away from winning a title like like if they just went out in two years and got jalen brown and, and kept their supporting cast largely intact i'd say yeah that's a team that could go win a championship and and, and ultimately like i guess this, this is kind of reductive because it's sort of like the very premise of our question like you can't talk yourself into that with these Knicks teams for sure it could be satisfying it could be fun but to me like the whole point is like even if you don't win a title it's to be able to convince yourself as a fan like wow if everything breaks right there's a there's just a small chance like or if we just sign this one guy there's a small chance and the Knicks still like especially if they lock this team in Alex they that that feels kind of insurmountable that doesn't really feel within our grasp so I I think my ultimate answer might be no with the caveat that like to your point like about the Suns and those Suns teams like there is a higher end version of this where you're like all right like that that would be pretty amazing
1: yeah I think when I was thinking about this because I I I put a pretty good amount of thought in this question before we did the show. I think if I was going to break it down into like a very simplified, like formula, almost, I would say I have like three categories of what a good team can be. And like a, a good team over the course of, let's say like a half decade or more. Right. And I think those, those three categories would be memorable, which a memorable team, I think makes the playoffs pretty much every year. Barring some sort of weird injury luck or something, uh, m- maybe makes a deep playoff run or two, you know, or semi deep, you know, a couple second round appearances, maybe a conference final, something like that. I think that would be considered a memorable team to me. And I think that this Knicks team will probably be that uh, if they keep everything the way it is and if everybody keeps playing the way they are, which again, unfortunately, like the one variable here is Julius Randle, who we've seen flip flop year to year, uh, how good or bad he looks and how he's going to play basketball. So if he sticks with where he's at right now, I could definitely see that being the case where this becomes a memorable team, even if they don't make any more moves, the next level would be legendary, which I think is if that team manages to break through and win a championship, then you earn immortality with your fan base. And obviously with the league at, at large as well. Uh, Cause you know, basketball junkies are going to remember like, yeah, the Knicks won a championship. Like they would, that will go down and never be, you know, you'll never get washed away. You know, like the the tide will never come sweep that championship away. Like you'll always be right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing would be dynasty. I think that's the the pinnacle, which is like uh, teams that people talk about forever. You know, because they're just so good. Like the the '60s Celtics. The you know the I mean the early '70s Knicks. I mean, st- get talked about with quite a bit of reverence. I mean, they're like borderline between legendary and dynasty, because they did get two championships in a short period of time. Um, You know, the Lakers and the Celtics in the eighties, the bulls in the nineties, the Spurs in the two thousands and the Lakers in the early two thousands. And then uh, obviously the warriors now and the heat in the, in the uh, early 2010s, you know, there's been runs of championships that those teams become dynasties and they're the most memorable teams in league history, not just by their fan bases, but by, the league at large. Um, I think right now this Knicks team would be trending towards memorable. And I do, I do agree with you that I think that there is a steep curve for them to be able to get to legendary status. Um, but Gavin, unless you had a, one last part, parting thought on that, uh, we can maybe talk a second mailbag question that we have for this episode real quick. That uh, talks about maybe a move the Knicks can make that could start pushing them up that Hill this year. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So that that question uh, comes courtesy of our guy in Eternal Knicks Optimus at Eternal Knicks. Great handle. Wow. Uh, that's the kind of, it's. I don't know, it feels borderline spiritual. Anyways, how serious do you believe the Knicks pursuit of Zach Levine is? What would you offer as a package for him? So Alex, to preface this, uh, Zach Levine did not look good uh, for a, a lot of this year by his standards, right? Like Did, did not really have his prior explosiveness, uh, complete sieve defensively, to the point that the Bulls apparently held multiple team meetings where they just essentially ripped apart uh, Zach Levine's uh, effort and, uh, and defensive aptitude and, and uh, willingness to make um, the extra pass. Um, since then, uh, the Bulls have started playing pretty well, um, starting uh, Tuesday, uh, December 20th, um, against the Heat. Uh, they have won. Uh, let me do some quick math here three, five, eight. They've gone eight and three over their last 11 games. And Zach Levine, uh, since that point has scored 21 points 22, 33, 22, 24, 43, 15, 26, 13, 41, 36. That included an 11 three pointer performance and a 14 point win over the 76ers. So I'll start this off by saying, I don't really think the Bulls are going to trade Zach Levine if they keep playing like this and two i think the price would add would essentially be what it was for donovan mitchell and i don't know about you alex i think mitchell especially with what he's shown this year on the defensive end but even even with the information we had in utah i would put him in a slightly 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 higher category of player than zach levine just because he's had proven postseason success and and levine really hasn't uh beyond the uh concerns about his knee.
1: yeah i i for sure would not give up a package anything close to what was rumored for Donovan Mitchell for Zach Levine. And I, for one thing it's that, yeah, he's never really shown an aptitude for the defensive end, nor, you know, again, like he's been so bad on that end of times in his career that he's had to get like told to his face, like, you're so bad at defense, please just try a little bit. Uh, And, you know, Hey, maybe now with how the bulls are playing, that does kind of show like, okay. Yeah. If you give like baseline effort on defense, then, your offense becomes a huge, huge plus when you're playing that well. Um, That said, I don't think he's nearly as impactful as Mitchell. I do also think, unfortunately, the Gobert trade, the DeJounte Murray trade, the uh, Donovan Mitchell trade, all have sort of set this very high market for stars at the moment uh, of any level. Like DeJounte Murray, I don't think was really worth what he got this this past offseason, nor Rudy Gobert, even though Rudy Gobert is a great player you know, like five first round picks or whatever is not that I'm sorry, but I would never give that up for him. Like, and I would not give up even three for Zach Levine. I don't think because of, you know, the, the volatility of the, you know, what you might get or not get on the defensive end from him. And for that reason, I don't really see the Knicks going after him. Uh, And if they would, it would probably be like, the low end of what was rumored for Mitchell, but like minus an asset or two, like minus a player minus a pick or two or something like that. Um, Maybe you give up like quote unquote three first round picks, but two of them are the heavily protected ones or something that can maybe be, I can maybe stomach that, but what players are you then giving up? And then you have to consider that Quentin Grimes is going to get displaced from the starting lineup and he's been playing so good and been one of the big catalysts to the Knicks playing as well as they are. So does the scoring, you know, outweigh that what you're going to lose big time on defense by losing your best perimeter defender in the starting lineup? I don't think that they would look at that and say, and you know, not don't not to mention you might have to give up crimes to get Zach Levine too, which then means you don't even have that guy to bring off the bench anymore. Like now you're losing your top wing defender. Period. Um, I don't think I would do it. I, I think between the factors of how much it would cost and the fact that star trades are so inflated right now because there's so much parity in the league right now that every team thinks they have a shot. Like bidding wars, if certain guys hit the market this coming trade deadline, the bidding wars are going to be insane um, because a lot of teams are going to talk themselves into like, we are this guy away from maybe winning a championship year a championship this year if everything breaks right for us. Uh, and so I don't think I'd want to get embroiled in that sort of thing if the Bulls would make Levine fully available.
0: Yeah, you look, you hear, you hear the sirens going off outside of my house. <laughs> that is a sign that we, we we just can't we can't trade for Zach Levine. Anyways, on that happy note, uh, this was this was a super fun conversation. I hope all of you listening enjoyed it as well. We'll be back uh, tomorrow morning in your feeds for a game recap. But until then, he's Alex. I'm Gavin. I'll talk to you soon in Locked On Knicks. Peace out.